Well, good morning. I think the, the cool thing about that video is there's, you know, it's tough just to pick one person to get to do the video. You know, we have students that are meeting uh, with other students at the gym and doing discipleship that way. I have a student that uh, has been meeting with somebody on his football team. And just there's things that I'm excited about that I feel like God's doing. And, and only he can do that because several years ago I had this, um, I guess maybe a prompting of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. Uh, just to have a disciple-making movement that extended far beyond me, far beyond the adults, Bug, Allie, anybody else. And uh, I feel like I'm finally getting to see that a little bit. And so it's exciting. Uh, the last few months, I've been thinking a little bit about um, a couple different things. But, but one of the things that I envisioned in ministry was that I would hopefully be somebody that kids would go to when they're struggling with something, when they're dealing with something. And that's something that I always desired. It wasn't so much that you want to see somebody go through a tough time. But it was more that you want to be able to be there for somebody when they're going through a tough time. And I think the thing that I've learned the last few months is oftentimes students don't share something with you until you're willing to be uh, with them. And that's kind of what I've been learning. So, so the last few months, my wife and I have been helping some students with their homework. And I can remember in high school, I was in AP Calculus, and I sat there and thought, man, when am I ever going to need this? You know? And uh, I got a one on the AP exam, so I didn't pass. But um, sure enough, several years later, it was like, I remember saying that phrase, and there's a kid in my house with my wife and I, and she needs help with her AP homework. And I didn't remember how to do it. But I said, hey, my wife will probably know how to do that. <laughs> and sure enough, my wife knew how to do that. So I was like, hey, you need to ask Allie about that one. Uh, freshman girl, I think it was you, Campbell. We were doing uh, rock formations, all right? science. I was looking at it. I said, man, I don't know how to do that. But my wife probably knows how to do that. Sure enough, Allie knows how to do it. Uh, eighth grade boy, Sean Williams, his parents are here. Sean is awesome. I love Sean. He's doing an equation. It's something along the lines of Joe Bob has $13.50. He has 60 coins. You got to figure out how many are quarters, how many are dimes. I'm just sitting there thinking, this is so out of date. Nobody carries 60 coins. But I said, Sean, you know what? My wife probably knows how to do this. <laughs> Seventh grade social studies. You can see where the trend is going. I said, you know what? I don't really know how to do that, but I bet my wife knows how to do it. <laughs> and the thing that I've learned the last several months is one, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. But two, when you spend time with people, they begin to let you speak into their life. And they begin to share stuff with you. But I think the same thing is true about God. That as we spend time with God, God begins to speak to us. And I'm afraid for a lot of people this morning that maybe the reason that God is not speaking to you is because you're not listening and you're not spending time with Him. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I was thinking a lot about this passage this week, and there's kind of a lot that takes place. And so what I want to do is I want to read kind of the middle of the passage and then hopefully, as we do that, we'll kind of understand the rest of the passage. I want to talk about Jesus' rhythms in his life and the things that he does as he spends time with his Father. So Mark chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 30. If you don't have a Bible, the good news is you probably have a phone, so you can just Google it. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, this mic is, one time out real quick. I never get nervous about preaching, but I get nervous about this mic because it always gives me problems. Verse 31, 
Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get away. The next thing that happens in this text, you're probably familiar with this passage, but what happens is that Jesus goes on to feed the 5,000. And so he has all these people around him. There's actually probably way more than 5,000 people. There's probably 10 to 15,000. He takes a boy's lunch and he multiplies it. And so what happens next is in verse 45, it says this, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowds. After leaving them, he went up on a mountain to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. There's one thing that I kind of take away from this text, as I was reading it a little bit this week, is Jesus lives a busy life. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Jesus doesn't know what I experienced because my life is way busier than his. Well, let's think about some of the things that Jesus did in in Mark chapter 6 specifically. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus basically goes back to his hometown. He grew up in a small town. All right, I grew up in Lawrenceburg, small town. And I kind of hate going back to Lawrenceburg, just to be honest with you, because I hate going into Walmart or Kroger or a football game, and you see a million people that you know. And if you've grown up in a small town, you know exactly how this is, especially if you're an introvert like I am. And so it can be tough because you see all these people that you know. Jesus grew up in a town of 300 people. And so what happens with Jesus is when he goes home, he sees all these people that he knows, and then they reject him. So it's not bad enough that he sees all these people that he knows and has to talk to all these people that he knows, but he faces rejection by his own people. Then what happens next, and if you've been in leadership or maybe you're a parent, you kind of understand how this is, is that he sends out his 12 disciples. And if you've been training somebody, maybe you're a parent, you send out your 18-year-old child, And what do you do? You probably worry about them a little bit. You probably wonder what's going to happen to them. You probably get a little bit maybe fearful even. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, and he knows what's ahead of them. He knows that one day they're going to experience persecution. He knows the trials that they're going to face. And so for Jesus, this is a lot of pressure. But then on top of all that, his cousin John the Baptist is killed. He's murdered. He's beheaded. And so you know how tough this is if you've ever experienced death, that it's hard to experience death because you have to mourn, you have to grieve, you have to go through that process. And maybe you've recently experienced the loss of a loved one, so you know how difficult that can be. And then on top of all that, he has all these people that are hungry, that he's got to feed. Jesus' life is busy. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you think, Jesus doesn't know what, what I'm going through, it's just not true. Because in Philippians chapter 2, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant and becoming obedient to the point of death. He knows what you're experiencing. He knows how busy life can be. And when he's busy, look at what he does. Verse 31, it says, Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Rest. Being in the presence of God. You see, throughout every single thing that Jesus does, he rests. He spends time with his Father. You think about the first thing, the rhythms of Jesus' life. The first thing that takes place, he goes back to his hometown. And as he goes back to his hometown, what does he do? He faces rejection. Obviously, that's a negative thing, right? 
That's not something that's, that's positive. And so what is his response? It's to go and be with his father. He sends out the 12. Why? So that he can be alone with his father. The second thing, his cousin's beheaded, John the Baptist. Right? He's mourning. He's, he's in pain. What's his response? That's another negative event. What's his response when things go poorly? Verse 31. Let's go off to a quiet place and get some rest and be with our father. The next thing that happens, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's obviously a positive thing, right? You have all these people that Jesus is going to feed. They want him to preach to them. They want to hear from him. It's almost like the disciples have planned a service for him where they've, they've sang the songs. They've given the message. They're just waiting for Jesus to get up and give the invitation. But what does Jesus do? He says, no, I'm going to dismiss the crowds because I need to go be with my father. You see, the example that he's setting for us is pretty simple. It's pretty easy to understand that no matter how high life gets, no matter how good things get, we need to be with our Father. But the opposite is also true, that no matter how bad things get, we need to be with our Father. Because I think for a lot of people in this room, you're probably similar to me, that when things go bad, I recognize, hey, I need to go be with Jesus because he's the only one that can fix it. But when things go good for me, and this is just transparent, I can sometimes look at my life and say, well, yeah, I'm good, you know. I don't need to be with Jesus because things are going well for me. And I'm afraid for some of us in in the room, that's our response. That we pick and choose when we want to be with Jesus. But the example that Jesus sets for us is that no matter how bad things get, no matter how good things get, we're called to go and be with him. Because that's what he wants more than anything else. And so I believe that there's three reasons this morning why Jesus takes it so seriously as far as being with his Father. The first one's kind of the one that we've been talking about. It's rest. Rest. Jesus spends so much time with his Father as a means of rest. In the Bible, Jesus said this statement. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest is not just a day of the week. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. It's Jesus. And I was thinking about uh, actually a story yesterday, we were talking about this at a birthday party, and uh, several years ago, my wife and I, I think we were maybe dating at the time, we might have been married, I don't know, it was when we were like 19 or 20 years old, and uh, I was working at State Farm at the time, and I get this phone call during the middle of the day. Now, I never get phone calls during the middle of my work day when I was working there, because you just weren't supposed to call my personal phone, but for some reason she did, not blaming her, but she calls me, and We had this bad habit of sometimes we would need to get gas in our car, but sometimes we would put it off. We'd say, hey, I'll do it the next day, you know? Some of y'all probably do that. Actually did that to my father-in-law, returned his car to him. He's on E, so. But I get this phone call, and she says, hey, I ran out of gas. And I'm like, where are you? We lived in Louisville. She was in the worst possible spot that she could be, Waterson Expressway, where there's like four lanes of traffic and everybody's zooming past each other. Meanwhile, there's my wife over there on the side of the road who ran out of gas. And so what do I have to do? I call AAA because I'm not going. You know, I call AAA and have them go take her some gas. But I was thinking about that story and it kind of reminds me that a lot of times I think that's kind of how we treat the Christian life. We're running around on E just kind of hoping that we don't run out of gas. But at some point you're going to run out of gas. And so how how do we refuel? How do we get back to where we need to be. We need to get into the presence of God. That's what we need. That's what our soul needs. Now think about the story of Mary and Martha. You're probably familiar with that story in the gospel accounts where 
Basically, Martha is running around doing all these things for Jesus, but Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, it's better what Mary is doing because that's what God wants with your life. He just wants you to be with him and to find rest in his presence. The second reason why I believe that Jesus spends so much time with his father is because he knows he's going to experience temptation. He knows. He's not dumb. Satan has tempted him. The most famous temptation that uh, he experiences in Matthew chapter 4. You might remember what takes place in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted on three separate occasions. The first one, he's hungry. He's in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. Satan tempts him. He says, hey, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second temptation, again, he's in the wilderness. And basically what Satan does, he says, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Jesus responds, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's tempted a third time. Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. And Satan basically tempts him and says, hey, if you're the son of God, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these things. Jesus responds, as it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's the point? Every single time that Jesus is tempted, he always quotes the scripture. Why? Because he's human. And oftentimes, I was talking to one of the people that I disciple and asked them this question, do you think that Jesus knew the scripture just because he was God? And his answer was very simple. He said, I don't think Jesus would have been in the temple learning from all the priests and all the teachers if he just knew the word already. Jesus learned the word. He did. He memorized the the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what he did. And so if Jesus did that, how much more important is it for us to do that as well? Because I truly believe, I truly believe this in my soul, that every sinful temptation that we experience, it always starts with our mind. It does. And the Bible says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I think what that looks like is that sometimes we experience these thoughts. Maybe you're dealing with sexual sin. Maybe you're looking at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says to flee from sexual immorality. Students all the time, they tell me this, I'm dealing with anxiety. I have all these anxious thoughts. Maybe you're in the room this morning and you're dealing with anxious thoughts. Maybe you're anxious about your finances. Maybe you're anxious about things at work. Maybe you're anxious about your marriage, whatever it is. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in in Philippians chapter four, verse six, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and supplication, submit your request to God and the peace of God will transcend your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's some people that struggle with, you're going through a tough season, you're going through pain, and you're asking this question, God, where are you? God, what's happening? What does the Bible say? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That your pain isn't without a purpose. There's some people that that say, hey, I don't feel adequate to do the things that God's called me to. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in Romans 8, 11, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you. Some people struggle because we beat ourselves up over our sin. What does the Bible say? The Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You see, every single thing that we experience in the Christian life, there's an answer. And it's through the Word. It's in the Word. And so what we have to do is we have to get into the Word until the Word gets into us. Until it begins to transform our hearts and our minds. 
It's when we, be, we, we begin to be made into the image of Jesus. The third reason, this is honestly, um, I think, why I wanted to preach this sermon. I've said a lot of stuff, but this is the reason why I wanted to preach this sermon. Um, we need to spend time with God because we need to get a word from God. And when I say the word word, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's three different usages of the word word in the New Testament. The first one is John chapter 1. All right, if you think of more ways, just come tell me after the second service, because I don't want to adjust the sermon. Tell me after the second service. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. You go on to read, it says, basically, all things were created by Him and for Him. The word Word, if you look at it on the screen, can we throw that back up there? Sorry. It's, uh, it's capitalized, right? It's capitalized. The W is capitalized. Why is that? Because it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Think about Genesis 1.27. Let us make mankind in our own image. Let us, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, since the beginning of time. So the first usage of the word word is Jesus. The second one, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, any double-edged sword. All right, you notice the word word. It's not capitalized, right? The word word, uh, if you look at the Greek word, it's talking about the scriptures, all right? The scriptures are alive and active. They're sharper than any two-edged sword, any double-edged sword. And so the second usage of the word word is the scriptures. And so what that's talking about is the fact that the scriptures can penetrate our hearts. They can penetrate our mind. They can tell us the sin in our life. They can convict us of the wrongdoing in our life, and they can show us a better path towards Jesus. Now, the third one, this is when I get excited, y'all. I'm excited for the third one. Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of God. Again, you look at the word word, and it's not capitalized. All right, it's, it's lowercase. Now, the thing about this word word is the idea behind it is that it's, it's this idea that God is speaking directly to you. It's almost as if you're standing here and God is tapping you on the shoulder, just whispering something into your ear. So faith comes from hearing, hearing through getting a specific message from God. And I believe that for every person in this room this morning, God wants to give you a specific message, but it's not going to happen if you're not spending time with him. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit has convicted me of this through several ways. Uh, a few months ago, I was listening to this podcast about this guy, his name was Manly Beasley, and I told this to our youth before, I'm naming my first child Manly because it is a cool name, unless it's a female, all right? But Manly Beasley is a cool name, and Manly Beasley was an even cooler guy. He was um, basically this, this preacher, and he grew up, he was dyslexic, he had a really tough home life, his parents, I don't think he even uh, lived with his parents, like he just had a really tough home life, he was diagnosed with a life-ending uh, disease, but somehow he lived another like 25 years but Manly Beasley was kind of known as this man of faith that really lived out Romans 10, 17. Uh, he was somebody that spent a lot of time with God. He, he, he had this kind of famous quote that said he would go out into the woods, he would grab his Bible, and he wouldn't come back until he got a word from God. And that was powerful to me. Because I heard all these stories about Manly Beasley. He was going to guest preach at this church one time. And it's kind of known that if you guest preach at a church, you just kind of do whatever the pastor says. You don't like do your own thing. 
And so he's, he's listening to the voice of God. He's up early that morning getting ready to preach, and he has his Bible, and he comes up on a stage maybe similar to this. He looks at all the people, and he says, I don't think you guys are ready to hear what God has to say. Come back tonight because God's going to speak to you. He comes back that night. He says, the altar is flooded with people. The aisles are filled with people, and hundreds of people get saved that night. Other stories from his kids are, are similar. He had kids, two sons, and one of the things his son always said was he'd come to him for advice. He'd say, Dad, what should I do about this? And if you're a parent in the room, maybe you understand this, that when your kid comes to you for advice, when a kid comes to me for advice, I want to tell him everything that I know, right? But what Manly Beasley would always say is, what did God have to say? He'd tell his kids, he'd say, you have to be prayed up so that when you have to act in faith, you're ready. Because the time to prepare for battle is not in the battle. It's way before the battle has begun. Pastors would call his house, his kids would answer the phone, they'd listen in on the conversation. And these pastors would basically ask him, how do I hear from God? And Manly Beasley would always reply with the same thing. He'd say, grab your Bible, go out into the woods, and don't come back till you got a word from God. And man, this convicted me. I was so convicted because I knew that like a lot of people in this room, I believe there's two people in this room. You're either somebody that you don't have time with God, you're not spending time with God, you have no plan, which means you're planning to fail. But there's another group of people that maybe you're spending time with God, but it's not consistent, it's not, you know, it's not what you want it to be, it could be better. And I kind of fell into that second group. I was spending time with God, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And so I prayed one Sunday night after church, I said, God, I need a better time with you. I need it to be better because I want to get a word from you. I want to hear you speak to me. And for some reason that next morning, the Lord woke me up really early. But I'll tell you what, I had more energy than I've ever had in my life. And I was ready, I was alert, and I was excited to hear from God. And I began to do three things. One, I started just reading the scriptures. No matter how long it took, if it took 20 minutes, if it took 30 minutes, I'd sit there and read until I understood it. The second thing that I did, I'm packing this morning, but don't tell the security team. I got my flashcards. <laughs> I would memorize these flashcards, and I'd write down several different verses every single day. I'd write the verse on the front, I'd write it out on the back, and I began to memorize the scriptures because I, didn't, I knew the sin and temptation that I struggled with, and I was done. I didn't want to experience it anymore. So I began to write these flashcards. If you memorize four verses a week, you can memorize 200 verses in a year. The third thing that I did was I began to sit with the Lord. For about 10 to 15 minutes, I would just sit there and be with God because I knew that God wanted to speak to me, but I also knew that sometimes I wasn't listening because my, my conversation with God went from me talking to him to him talking to me. And what God began to do is he began to speak. I felt this prompting after doing this that God was calling me to one very specific thing, and that was to be just this spiritual leader for some of these kids that don't have it. Because there's so many kids in this ministry that don't have it. And it kills me. We get a phone call last night at 8.30 from a kid who doesn't have it. She doesn't have that, that male spiritual leader in her life. So my wife and I go pick her up and it just confirmed everything that I was going to preach this morning. And I began to have people speak into my life. I, I had this dream. I didn't know what the dream was about. There were these two kids that knocked on my door really early in the morning I don't know how early it was, but I know it was before 4.51 because that's when I wake up. So I had this dream. They're knocking on my door. I see them, see them on my doorbell, and for some reason, I don't let them in. And I don't know what the dream meant, 
a few weeks pass, I go to this conference. And basically at this conference, this lady is talking to these youth pastors, these people similar to me. And she says one thing. She says, hey, I feel like there's people in this room that God is calling you to be just this spiritual leader for some of these kids because some of them don't have moms that are following Jesus. Some of them don't have dads that are following Jesus. They need you. And they're going to remember your prayers when they grow up. They're going to remember the prayers of the people that prayed over them and that prayed with them. I get back from this conference. There's a guy that comes up to me. He's a good friend of mine. He said, I think I know what your dream means. I think you need to let these kids into your life because I think God wants to use you to shepherd some of these kids that don't have it. See, oftentimes what God does is he'll speak to us and then he'll continue to confirm what he's already spoken. God speaks through people. He speaks through promptings. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through pain. God is not limited in the way that he can speak. Here's the question for you this morning though as we finish. Are you listening? Because God is speaking, but are you listening? Let's pray. God, I just, I'm convicted this morning because I don't want to miss out on hearing a word from you. God, there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for my family. There's too much at stake for my ministry. God, there's too much at stake in this community. And so I'm praying for the people in this room, God, would we be people that we grab our Bibles, we go out into the woods, and we don't come back till we receive the word from you. Because God, a word from you, it means everything, and it can change everything. So I'm praying a prayer of the people in this room, God, would you speak to us this morning, and would you speak to us in our lives, God? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you uh, have your communion, we're gonna enter into a time of communion this morning. I love what the Bible says in Romans 3. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you need one, just raise your hand. Romans 6, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 10 It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So this morning, what we have the opportunity to do is to just be with the Lord. We just get to be with the Lord. We're going to take the bread. It represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you, the innocent lamb that was slain. So when you take this bread, I want you just to reflect for a moment. Just sit there in your seat and reflect. Think about that verse, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take this bread and we're just going to be still for a moment and just reflect on who God is. So if you would, go ahead and take the bread. move on to the juice. I love the Old Testament because it talks about how they'd kill this innocent lamb and they'd smear the blood on the doorposts of their homes. Fast forward to the New Testament. You see the innocent lamb, Jesus Christ, and we don't smear the blood on the doorposts of our home, but instead it's as if Jesus has smeared his blood on the doorposts of our hearts, y'all. And so we get a moment, we're going to take the, the juice And as we reflect this morning, I just want to invite you, if you feel led to come, won't you come? Come and sit with the Lord. I love that song, Nothing Else Will Do. We just want Jesus. We just want to sit at his feet. And so this morning, uh, if you feel led to come, you're welcome to stand and worship. You're welcome to come forward and worship. You're welcome to sit at your seat and worship. But take a few moments and let's worship together.